All right, well, good morning, everyone. It is good to be here. Uh, we're digging into Romans 8, 18 to 27. It's an awesome passage, but uh, as, we're, as we're getting ready for that, I was just thinking about this. Uh, I went on this sort of guys weekend uh, a couple weeks ago where some friends of mine, we went up to Big Bear. We were thinking we were going to go snowboarding and all that, but the conditions were so bad that, and it was so warm, we actually went for a couple hikes uh, into the mountains instead of, of snowboarding. And one thing it was, I haven't really ever hiked up there in that Big Bear area that much. And we went on this cool hike. It was uh, called the Castle Rock Hike. I don't know if anybody's done it. It's not too long and but uh, it was cool. You head up from around the, by the lake and you start heading up. And I remember uh, walking up and we didn't get very far. I mean, just about 15 minutes up. And we went and climbed up on this rock to go look out and just see what you could see. And we're looking out. It's kind of a, it's a nice view. It's, it's a little limited. You couldn't see everything. And uh, I just remember saying to my friend, like, really, this is Castle Rock? Like, this, this is it, right? And he says, no, 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 turn around. And I, we turn around, and he points way up the hill, and there's this way bigger, huge rock with all these people up there looking out, and you can see, oh, okay, that's the destination. It's way up there. And so we hike up uh, farther, and we get up, and there's, I don't know if you've ever been up there, there's just trails everywhere. It's like you could pick one of 10 different trails just going all over the place. And so we're trying to pick our way through of what, what way we're supposed to go. Uh, there's all these cool rock formations all over the place. And we get up to the big one and we come up along the side of it and we're not sure if it's the right side or if that's where we're supposed to be. And we go and we're starting to, you have to just a little bit of climbing sort of, but there's that one move that feels like is this the right way? Because if I fall, I feel like I'm going to get hurt, you know? And you're just, I thought I was just going hiking. And and so we're looking and we're trying to figure out if this is what we should be doing or not. And then we notice a family with like a two and three-year-old coming down like it was no problem passing their children along. And we think, okay, this uh, apparently is the right way. And now I feel like much less of a man. <laughs> and so we we decide then, okay, we make our moves and get up there. And, and there's a guy with crutches and a walking boot. And uh <laughs> <laughs> and feeling even a little bit less, but that's, that's besides the point. But you get up there and you look out and it's just this incredible view where you can see the entire Big Bear Lake and, and it's just amazing just the way that, that whole valley is and you can see out behind you even more of these just sort of like crazy rock formations all over the place. Really a cool little spot. And, uh, you know, it's just interesting because I thought I was there, you know, like 10 minutes up. I'm like, this is Castle Rock, you know, I don't, I don't get it. And it was this different, it was this limited view where, no, there was so much more that was opening up. And I say that and, and to kind of compare this then into what we're looking at when Romans 8, 18 to 27, this little 10 verse chunk, I think can be kind of like this. I think as we're looking through Romans, we can be even so focused on these individual things, these individual themes that we're looking at. If we're talking about the Holy Spirit, or we're talking about Israel, or we're talking about justification, and we're looking at and they're, they're big ideas. They're not little ideas, but they're big ideas, and we're focusing in on them. And sometimes I think we could almost miss this chunk of Scripture as we flow like right by, as we're interested in all these wild, big uh, themes that we're looking at. But in this passage, you have this language of, of the whole created order on the edge of its seat in anticipation, longing for something. And that's what's happening in here. And we're going to dig into like, what is that all about and what, what that is. But it's really on the top of this hill that you can see 
forever. That there's this, uh, this little chunk that you could just breeze by is really kind of a, a climax portion of chapter 8, which is this climactic portion of this entire uh, letter, really. And it's just an incredible little chunk that we have. And you know what it's all about? It's all about groaning. <laughs> it's kind of weird, right? When you think about it, it's all about groaning, that we can be set free from our groaning. Now, I don't know about all of you, but... Uh, how you do with this, but I'm in the year where this August I'll be turning 40. And so for me, I felt like I'm groaning a little more, groaning a little more when I, you know, lean over to pick something up or to get out of bed or, you know, after a workout or during a workout or something like that, where it's just this sense of, uh, of the groaning has increased in life. And, uh, so we, we know that, that groaning and the kind of groaning we're talking about here is the kind of groaning that comes in our suffering. Okay groaning in our suffering. And so let's let's dig into this. And as we get even into this first point in this first verse, we look at our suffering. And so if you haven't opened up, turn to Romans 8, 18. It's all on the screen right behind me, this verse right here, where it says, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. And so for us here, although we groan in our suffering, we can have hope when we focus on our future glory, okay? That we look out to the future. We look out to what uh, God has for us. Even though, yes, we're going to have groaning suffering in this present time. And it's, it's kind of about our perspective here, okay? This part where we have to have a different sort of perspective. We tend to have a temporal perspective, but we need to have an eternal perspective, a perspective that looks at the big picture, that looks at all of what God would have. Because yes, we have suffering, right? Yes, this, that's the other implication here, is that we will in this life have hardship, have difficulty, have suffering, that that is going to happen in our lives. But we can have hope in the midst of that as we look to what God will do in the future with our, with our like future glorified bodies. Now, when it comes to this, you know, a couple thoughts about this when we do like, another verse I want you to see is 2 Corinthians 4, 16 to 18 that says, Therefore, we do not lose heart. But though our outer man is decaying, yet our inner man is being renewed day by day. For momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. So those things that we can see, the suffering that's in front of us, that affliction that we're going through, that is what we see and that is temporal. But what we can't see is eternal, that we have to have this different kind of perspective. I even think with that, that passage is the sense of, uh, even when you think of, of exercise, where you have this present suffering, you're groaning in this present suffering of the, the workout that you're currently in. But you're looking forward to the glorified body that you will one day have, right? Like that's that kind of, you know, that, that sort of a thing. Now we don't earn our spiritual glorified bodies, but we gotta work hard for, for our physical bodies to be, to be glorified. But that's, there's suffering in that, but we look forward to that future hope. Now I wanna, another way of illustrating this is, this is an illustration you've possibly heard before. It's a, it's a relatively common illustration, but I think it's very applicable and it's of this rope. Okay, now I want you to think of this rope as a timeline, 
Okay? A timeline of history. Let's say that the creation begins here, the beginning of, of the rope. And, you know, some time goes by, right, throughout history. And we come to the point here of our life. This little piece of tape here is you. This is your life from beginning to end. Okay? You've got it right here. This is your life, and this is the timeline of history, and then the timeline that will come after you. Now, in this life, you will have suffering. In this life, you will have affliction. And we can just be focused only on this life. And a lot of us, I mean, we work really hard, right? We work really hard at the beginning of this piece of tape for comfort at the end of this piece of tape. You know, I mean, that's like our whole world can be completely focused on, man, I better work hard here so that I'm comfortable here. But you know what? Do I even consider that there's all of this afterwards, right? That our life just continues and continues, that eternity, you know, you, you've got your little life right here, okay? Little piece of tape. And eternity continues and continues and continues, and it goes on and on and on. And so where is your perspective? Is your perspective on what you can see? You can see this, and you're worried about the part you can't see up here. But God says, no, no, no. Stop worrying. Look at all this. There's all this eternity to come, and it's glorious. It's amazing. And you're with me. And we'll talk more about all of that. It's incredible. But our perspective needs to change. Our perspective needs to be on that which is eternal. Now, here's what this is, and here's what this isn't. Because I think you can get really messed up at the same time when you have this kind of perspective. You've got to be careful with it at some level, okay? Because what it is, is it's good when we're in moments of suffering to say, yes, Lord, I know that I will be with you one day. That this, this mortal body will someday be completely made new, right? That I will be with you forever. And we can look to that, and that's good. But also, here's what it isn't, and what we got to be careful of, is it's not just who cares about this life then, right? Who cares about this life? Who cares about the choices that I make while I'm in this life? Who cares about, you know, like, why, why should I even care about other people? Why should I care about this world, the creation that God has made? Just who cares? You know, eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die, right? Like, that can be sort of the, the, the wrong reaction to all of this. Or even the, the wrong reaction of just saying, I don't care about, you know, all this world and whatever is in it because, hey, I'm just looking to heaven. So we want to be aware of that because this also affects, I think, even, it's interesting the way that we would look at the scriptures in this. You know, as we're, as we're thinking about our life and as we're thinking about, okay, here I am now. I just want to make sure that I'm a sinner here and I'm not a sinner here, right? Like, I, I want to make sure that my sin gets removed. And that's, very important, okay? It's very important. But what I think a lot of times is, is that we just go back to Genesis 3. Genesis 3 is, you know, the, the fall of mankind. And we just only think of that. We think of that sometimes even as the beginning. That in Genesis 3, everything starts with sin. So our life's all about, we have sin, let's get rid of sin. But really, I think we want to go back all the way to the beginning. Because what God says when he creates this world, when he creates it, he says it's good. It's good. It's good. Over and over again saying it's good. And then he creates you. He creates humankind. And he says, that's very good. Right? Very good. That God has made something beautiful. And God was walking with Adam and Eve in the garden. And there's this beautiful sense of, of peace, this shalom, this wholeness, this presence with God. 
And that we don't want to just, yes, sin comes and we got to deal with it. But we also, we want to get back, right? We want to get back to that sense of walking with God, being one with him. It's all the, the good things. If we only think of ourselves as people who were sinners and aren't now, we're thinking of ourselves based on what we're not. You know, that's sin. But let's think of ourselves the way God sees us and intended us to be. So when we have that kind of perspective, I think, that that can help us even in the way that, that we're looking and waiting, waiting for God. And this has a lot of waiting happening in the midst of this groaning. Because all creation, it says, is groaning and waiting and waiting for us to be completed, to be revealed. Creation groans, it says, while waiting to be set free. Let's look at verses 19 to 22, okay? It says, For the anxious longing of the creation waits eagerly for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself also will be set free from its slavery to corruption into the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans and suffers the pains of childbirth together until now. We have all of creation groaning, waiting to be set free, waiting, it says even in verse 19, for the sons and daughters of God to be completely revealed. In that last day when God's glory will be revealed to us and then revealed to the rest of the created order, that that's the hope of creation. And so for us, as we think about this, what should our response be to a world that is groaning with desire to be made new. First, like, step back for a second and think about one of those sort of in the Bible, that's weird moments, right? Like, creation groans to be set free. Like, this, you know, we, we've got other scriptures of, you know, the, the rocks and the trees, you know, are going to praise God and all that. Well, here we have this sense of the actual created order groaning, wanting to be set free from the corruption, you know, to get back to what was right. And so for us, we want to look into this. What is our role? What is our responsibility? That this world has been corrupted, that this world wants to be new. And so rather than just thinking like, hey, you know what? This place is messed up. I can't wait just to get to heaven, to get to what's next. You know, like that, we do long for that. But I think I want to join with God and have this sense of participating with the creator God that made all of this into helping to bring this world to be more of what that future kingdom would be like. Now, a couple questions that I want us to ask and as we're thinking about this, okay, because I want you to understand what I'm talking about. There's a question as we think about our response. One would be sort of about the, the earth itself. Like, so when we think about the created order itself, aside from us, okay, this question is why would we not want to bring more of what that future glory will be to even the earth itself. Now, I'm not saying like, so we all just become like super hardcore, crazy environmentalists, and that's what we're all about to make, you know, the world good again. But what I do think is, is so odd for whatever reason is that a lot of times Christians tend to be ones that don't care about the environment, you know? And, and I think that there's a sense of our stewardship, our stewardship of this world that God has entrusted to us that we would care for it, that we would care for what God, what even here says that this, this earth is longing to be made new, longing to be made new. 
And what's crazy is within that and we're back in Romans 1 where it says that that God is revealed to people through creation. You know, that people can, can know God through his attributes that are seen through the created world. Like, that's, that, man, why would we not want to present sort of the best version then of that to people? And I even had this sort of weird thought. It'd be kind of cool. You know how we have the Alpha Course where it's for people primarily who are spiritually seeking and to help like show people who God is and who's Jesus, why did he die, how can we have faith in him and all that. Well, maybe instead of the Alpha Course, what we could do is just take people to Yosemite and just be like, look, <laughs> look, <laughs> you know, take them to Zion National Park and just, do you see God? Do you get it? Like, look. Like we take people to Tahiti, I'm going to be on that mission strip, right? Like let's let's do this. <laughs> we'll just take seekers to Tahiti and say, "Look," and I'll I'll go with you, so you're not alone. Uh, but you know that's that's crazy. It's amazing to just think like sh- that people can know God through seeing Him in His invisible attributes throughout the creation. So that's the question for creation for the earth itself. But then I think for us within this, if if our glory is what the creation is waiting for, why not be people who are pursuing more and more of that now? To be more and more Christ-like, to be patterning our lives more and more after who Jesus would have us to be. And if I, like one way that I could just think of to, to be what could the future kingdom look like here on earth, I would think if we could display more and more of the fruit of the Spirit in our life, that's representing more and more of what God would, would want to display. That we could more and more in our life display love, display joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. All these things as we, you know, as we live out these things in our life now, we're displaying that future glory to people in the best way that we can. So we want to be men and women who love one another, who have a sense of joy in God who are peaceful with one another and so on, that, that we display the fruit of the Spirit in our life as much as possible. And in that, and then while we display that, we're waiting, okay? We're waiting with creation. Creation's waiting and groaning and longing, and we're also waiting. And waiting is a painful process. Waiting can be painful, but waiting is a painful process with a beautiful ending to come. I mean, this passage even makes this analogy to childbirth, right? That to going through a process of pain that then leads to something beautiful. And I want to just read a couple passages of Scripture. Uh, I want to read John 16, 20 to 22. Just listen, okay? Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. Okay, you will have it hard. You will weep. You will lament. And you know what? The world might have it easy. That, that, that's the way it is. That's what's going to happen. You will weep and the world will rejoice. You will grieve, but your grief will be turned into joy. Whenever a woman is in labor, she has pain because her hour has come. But when she gives birth to the child, she no longer remembers the anguish because of the joy that a child has been born into the world. Therefore, you too have grief now, but I will see you again, Jesus says, and your heart will rejoice and no one will take your joy away from you. Jesus telling you, you will have grief, but there will be joy. And a joy that cannot be taken away from you. And a joy that will make you even forget the, the suffering on the piece of tape and the rope. 
Another one, another verse, 2 Corinthians 5, 2 to 4, says this, For indeed, in this house we groan. Another groaning. Do you know there was so much groaning in the Bible? It's kind of weird. But uh, for indeed, in this house we groan, in these bodies, longing to be clothed with our dwelling from heaven, inasmuch as we, having put it on, will not be found naked. For indeed, while we're in this tent, we groan, being burdened, because we don't want to be unclothed, but to be clothed. We, we want to be there, right? We want to be with God. We want to be in heaven. We want to be later on, please. But we're here now and we groan, but we can look to that. We can look to what God has waiting for us. And so we wait for it, and we have to wait. And just as creation waited... We, waits, we wait, and we groan, it says, while eagerly waiting to be made completely new. Let's read 23 to 25 in our Romans 8, okay? It says, so it just talked about creation, groaning, and suffering, and then it says, and not only this, but also we ourselves, having the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting eagerly for our adoption as son, adoption as sons, the redemption of our body. For in hope we have been saved, but hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he already sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, with perseverance we wait eagerly for it. You've got this wait eagerly, like three times in this passage, groaning with that, three times in this passage, and just these little ten verses, groaning and waiting. And so we wait, we wait to be made new, right? We wait and we long to be made new. Now, um, so here's the thing. We have these first fruits it talks about, right? We have the first fruits of the Spirit, but we're waiting for the completion of it. And it's this, it's this difficult wait. And it's this whole thing as we're going to talk about, this whole concept, of, this theological concept of the already, not yet tension. There's a tension between what we already have and what we don't yet have. Between what's already happened and what has not yet happened. And there's this whole thing that's really being played out in this passage. So it's a difficult wait. It's a difficult thing to wait for. Now, I know, so for me, waiting can be hard. I don't know if for you waiting, like, things even just get weird for me when, when I have to wait for something. Like, for example, uh, B and I, like, we love, when we go on a date night, I mean, one thing that we love to do is just go to a, a restaurant and we'll just sit there for a long time. We'll order slow. We'll order and just sit and talk for a couple hours. It'll be great. We'll talk for a couple hours and we'll just, we would never run out of things to say. It would just be, it's awesome. We're stoked to have that kind of time, just the two of us. And, and that'll go and just be, be wonderful. But if we were told that we have to wait for our table for an hour, we would turn into like people that are awkward strangers that don't know how to talk to each other because we're just annoyed that we're waiting. I don't, do you ever get like that when you're waiting in line for something and all of a you're just like, uh, but all you're going to do is go sit somewhere else and talk to each other. And, you know, I don't know what's like different in that moment, but for whatever reason, while we're waiting, it's this, this strange, you know, experience of trying to like, I don't know, we just become awkward and it's hard because waiting makes you freak out. And I think, so then when we get into this kind of a thing of, of waiting on God or waiting for these great, like eternal things that it can freak us out. It can be really hard. But what's so awesome about waiting on God is that we are waiting for something that we can be assured of. We are waiting for something that is 
already guaranteed, okay? So how do you wait eagerly? I want us to look at this word wait, because what's so cool about this Greek word wait, apekdekomai, it means to expect fully and then to look for it. To expect fully. It's not just kind of hanging out. It's to expect fully that this will come to pass. You are expecting it to happen and you're looking and waiting then for it to happen. Okay? It's that kind of waiting. And when if you can expect it fully, it's that guarantee. You believe it's coming, but you still have to wait. And that's kind of what we're in, in this already not yet tension. It's kind of like, uh, one thing I could think of was it's like when you're engaged. I remember uh, engaged to be married. I remember it's like, uh, it was October. I asked B to marry me. And she said yes. And I'm like, sweet. Oh, wait, July. I have to wait for July. You know, like we're already, it felt like, like this commitment had been made in our minds, but we have to wait till July to actually be married, you know? And so there's this sense of already, but no, not yet, you know? And, and so you're, you're this sense of waiting. And it's just something that, that it feels like you, you're already there, but you're not. And so as we get into this whole already not yet thing, it's when it comes to God that we already have this indwelling presence of God's spirit within us. But the fact that it talks about that it's just the first fruits of the spirit, it makes us, you know, we're aware then that there's a not yet, right? If it's just the first fruits, there's got to be some more fruits, right? So we know that we haven't experienced it fully, that there's more to come, that our future glory will be revealed. And so within that kind of that tension, we also know that, yes, we have the fruits for the first fruits of the Spirit, but we haven't yet severed all ties to our old age of sin and death, that we should have this kind of balance here between a joy of the blessings we have, that we're justified before God, but also a frustration with the fact that, you know, that we still struggle with sin and we still have failure in our lives. And so that's where it kind of plays out into our lives, that yes, we're justified before God, but we still struggle. And so here's, here's another analogy. Uh, and, and this is like a science analogy, and so it's something I've read. If you know more than me, we can talk about it later, but just let's just go with the analogy, okay? Um, so when you turn on a light, <laughs> when you turn on a light, it, it looks to, like in the room like it's instantly bright, right? You just turn on the light, boom, it's bright, instantly. Now, but if you were a subatomic particle called a muon, okay? This is where I could get crazy. But if you were a subatomic particle called a muon, which travels close to the speed of light and its entire existence is only for a fraction of a second then it would take half a lifetime for you as that muon. Half of your lifetime it would take for that light to turn on, right? For the room to be made bright. It takes half of your life. And then you're no more. But, you know, uh, but the room is then filled with light. So think of from God's perspective here, okay? So from God's perspective, and we've got our rope, and we think of our lives here, and we think of, okay, well, wherever somewhere back here that, that Jesus died on the cross and rose again, and he says he's going to return, and we've been waiting for 2,000 years, and I don't know if it's going to be tomorrow or another 20,000 years, but, you know, our perspective to God, it's like an instant, you know? That perspective is so different. So there's this, we're living in this waiting and longing and this kind of already not yet thing, but to God, it's like, 
man, the room is just bright. It's just happened. It's already. So there's, there's this perspective. And so, you know, for us, when we think about this, we are already completely connected and tangled with Christ. We are with and in Christ Jesus. But we don't yet see this like completely evident in our life in every way. That our task then, okay, as men and women who are followers of Jesus, our task then is to yield to the Spirit, yield to the Spirit of God, and to show as much of that in our life as we can. To live out the fruit of the Spirit in as much of our life as we can. To be showing the sort of already to those who don't know the already. You know, to give us a glimpse of the not yet. I mean, we live those sorts of lives that display what God has already done in us and believe who we truly are in Jesus already. All the identity stuff that Matt Doan preached about last week as we went through the beginning part of Romans 8, all of who we are, all of that there's no condemnation in Christ, that we walk in the Spirit, you know, that all of this, that is true of us now. And so we want to believe that about ourselves and see ourselves as that. That's our identity. But then take every thought captive to Jesus Christ and then live our lives out of who we really are, right? Who we, our identity really is. That's the way we should be living our lives. So it's this whole already not yet thing. And it's kind of, again, it's like if you've, maybe you've passed the bar exam, but it doesn't, it's not effective until June 1st. Or you've gotten the job, but you haven't actually started yet. You've signed the lease, but you don't live there yet. It's kind of like, I also think of it as, you know the main bad guy in movies? So the main bad guy in movies have, like, extra power, right? Like, and the main bad guy is more powerful than just regular bad guys. So what I mean by that is, you'll be going through an action movie of some sort, and regular bad guys, your hero will just sort of just flippantly punch them and they'll just be dead, you know? And they're gone and they can't do anything bad to you ever again. But the main bad guy, the main bad guy could be shot five times and you know he's going to die at some point. He, the fatal blow has been delivered. He's, you know, he's been shot. He's fallen off a building. He's been beaten up. He's had his head slammed into a wall, whatever. But he's still able to keep getting up and getting some more shots off because he's the main bad guy and they're more powerful. You know what I'm talking about? Like, and and that's, that's what's going on. The main bad guy has more powers. And so <laughs> already Christ has come. He has been raised from the dead. Already the death blow has been dealt to the enemy. The enemy has been fatally wounded. He will die, but he's not dead yet. The kingdom is not yet fully here. Sin has not yet been fully removed from the world and death has not ceased. And so we live, we celebrate what has already occurred. And we look forward to that fulfillment of that, of what's not you know, yet happened that the enemy will be taken out completely. But the fatal blow has already been delivered, but he's just trying to take shots at us. But the victory has been won in Christ Jesus. Now, I think, yeah, and that's amazing. When we think about that from that sort of eternal perspective, we see it. But we also recognize that this sort of already not yet thing for us is that we have been purchased by Christ. We do, you know, have hope that we are set apart as his people, but we know that we still struggle with sin. And so if that is confusing to you, why do I still struggle? 
Why is this still hard? Why is there still pain? Why is there all this suffering in the world? There's this already and not yet. Because in the midst of all that suffering, though, as it says in verses 23 to 20, or 24 and 25, we have hope. And we don't have hope in the stuff that we see, because that is temporal. But we have hope in that which we cannot see. And that is hope in God, hope in the power of Jesus, and hope in the Spirit. And so we wait eagerly. And that's what's so awesome about the very next two verses, is as we wait eagerly, as we're suffering, as we're groaning, we are not the only ones groaning. Let's read 26 and 27. It says, in the same way, the Spirit also helps our weakness, for we do not know how to pray as we should. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. That God actually prays for us to God. The Holy Spirit prays to the Father on our behalf. And how many of you have just not known what to pray? How many of you have ever not known what to pray? Like, yeah, a million times, right? Like, I have not known what to pray, how to pray, what should I do? Or I just have this sense of, God, I just, ah, you know, I just need you. It's just groaning. And so how awesome is it that the Spirit of God himself then, ah, groans to the Father for you? with groanings too deep for words. And the Spirit would never pray outside of the will of God. The Spirit prays according to the will of God for you. And so in your life, when you don't know what to do, you don't know how to pray, you just are like, fed up. The Spirit himself is praying for you in that moment. And what I think is so awesome too, is that by example, I think the Spirit himself is teaching us something about prayer. Teaching us that, you know what, your, your fancy oratory, you know, when you're, when you are giving all these great speeches to God in your prayers, doesn't matter, you know? Doesn't matter how fancy your prayers are. I mean, Jesus said, hey, stop praying for other people, you know, to the Pharisees. Don't pray to make yourself look good. But even like, you don't need to try to make yourself look good to God, you know, just, just be like, ah, you know? God knows it. He knows what you're trying to say. He gets it. He, He's, he knows what's in your heart in that moment. And that's raw and that's real. And so I want us to be able to be men and women who pray. <laughs> like, you know, in this, in this example of groanings too deep for words to God, that we just, we just offer it to him, whatever's on our heart. Don't try to make it flowery and perfect. Just pray. Just pray and say, Spirit, help me. Pray for me. You know. And so as we wait, and as we suffer, and as we groan and long to be made new, knowing that this is a temporal body that I live in, that one day there'll be a new heaven and a new earth where God is making all things new. As he has made me new, he's making all things new. And that's what Jesus is in the business of doing, and he wants to make you new. And what's so cool is that Today, what we're going to do next is we're going to remember what Christ has done for us on the cross. The work that Christ did when we consider groaning, you consider suffering and groaning 
that took place when Jesus willingly went to the cross to pay the price of sin that we deserve. The groaning that he went through, so much more intense than we could ever imagine. But he did it willingly for us. And so we want to remember. We want to remember what he has done. And we want to remember together as the body of Christ, those who are here in this room, who believe in Jesus as Lord and Savior of their lives. We will pass the the elements of communion. I encourage you to hold on to it until this next song is over. And I want you just to to meditate and consider your life and and pray and, 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 and just remember. Remember what Christ has done. Remember as you hold on to the bread that represents that Christ gave his body for you. When you drink from the cup, remember that Christ shed his blood for you. Remember what he's done. And we celebrate that. We're thankful for that. Because that's why we already are justified before him. And we can look expectantly to what has not yet come to pass. But we can be so excited and look longingly for it. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we just come before you and thank you so much for this just wild ten verses of Scripture that show how much we long and wait for you and all of creation longs for you, God. Longs to be made new. And thank you that you have done the work that will make us new, God. You've done it. And so we remember and celebrate that today. Thank you, Lord. Pray that you would help us learn how to pray. To pray, Lord, just the the truth of our story, the truth of our sufferings. But again, longing for you to heal us. In Jesus' name, amen.